What impact will new Stars head coach Peter DeBoer have on the Dallas roster? Plus, when is Jason Robertson going to get paid? We discuss all that and more on today's crossover episode of Locked on Wild and Locked on Stars. You're Locked on Wild. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota Wild. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to a special crossover episode of Locked On Wild and Locked On Stars, part of the Locked On Sports Podcast Network. Thank you for making both Locked On Wild and Locked On Stars your first listen each and every day. And just as a reminder, both shows free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts. On today's crossover, we're going to take a look at the offseason for both the Minnesota Wild and the Dallas Stars. We will gear our attention towards the regular season and finish by looking at the Central Division to see who's in and who's out for the potential playoffs this coming season. My name is Seth Topol, host of Locked on Wild. I'm joined by the host of Locked on Stars, Dane Lewis. And Dane, it's been a little while since we have uh, had a chance to check in, so hope all is well. The offseason is nearing its end, which means we've got hockey right around the corner. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And I know people in Dallas are very, very excited because football season is is all but over here in Dallas already with, with Dak Prescott out for the majority of the season. And the rest of the team doesn't look too hot. But hockey season, we have our... Our first preseason game in Dallas, two weeks from the time of recording this, where we're uh, recording this on late Monday night, September 12th, and September 24th, I believe, is the the first Dallas Stars preseason game against the St. Louis Blues, or maybe a few days after that. Um, I know it's just a couple weeks away, and uh, training camp, preseason, and then the regular season, like you said, will be here before you know it, and this is going to be a, an interesting year, to say the least, especially in the Central Division. Yeah, and I can't wait to, to break it down, but let's start by talking a lot about a little stars uh, off season, because I have a bunch of questions to ask about different things. I want to start with the goalie situation. Obviously Jake Edinger had an unbelievable performance in the playoffs against the Calgary flames flames ended up coming up just short in that series. And it led to Edinger getting a, uh, a nice three year deal uh, to stay with Dallas, there was rumors that maybe a team was going to do an offer sheet just to try to kind of um, make Dallas sweat it out a little bit. So just catch us up on the Edinger saga. Is he is he the guy, first and foremost? And, you know, how did it end up uh, playing out that, uh, that he ended up being signed to that three-year deal so late in the offseason? It's a great question uh, for sure if he's the guy. I mean, I think the short answer for that for me and for the, the rest of the Stars fans who have been following this saga all offseason is he is the guy. And I think he proved that not just in that Calgary series, which, like you said, he was phenomenal, but even throughout the regular season. I mean, he was expected to be at the AHL level for the majority of the campaign with Braden Holtzby, Anton Hedobin, and Ben Bishop supposedly going to round out that goalie room. But all three of those guys go down due to injury. Ben Bishop even retires. And so Ottinger is kind of forced to step into that starting role. And I, he did really well, all things considered. I mean, not numbers that are going to blow you away, but, you know, he 
was a very serviceable and very efficient number one goalie uh, for the Stars throughout the majority of the season. And then, of course, had that seven-game stretch against the Flames where he, he was nothing short of spectacular. So it, it was you know, pretty pretty nerve-wracking at points this offseason, kind of wondering if he would be coming back. Uh, there, him as well as another guy that I'm sure we'll talk about later on here in a few minutes, uh, a forward on the team. But, you know, as far as Jake goes, I don't think there was ever too much doubt that he wasn't going to come back. There hadn't really been any signs that he was interested in going somewhere else. Um, I mean, Jake's, uh, from what I gather and from what other people have gathered as well, seems to be a, a really loyal guy and uh, a guy that, you know, has grown close with this locker room and grown close with uh, the goalie coach. Jeff Reese, who's one of the only coaches that's still on staff with this kind of new Dallas Stars, you know, coaching regime that's come in this offseason. So there's good relationships for him within the organization. The fans here in Dallas can't get enough of Jake Ottinger. He's probably the loudest applause every single night when the starting lineups get called at the American Airlines Center. So uh, it, all in all, it's a good deal. And, you know, his his contract is new one relatively team friendly i think he is getting paid a decent amount of money at four million dollars a season and the stars get to hold on to him for at least three seasons and i imagine if he is able to build on this past season that he just had that that his next contract will will probably be longer and probably uh, have some more more money for jake which is you know going to be a win for both parties you read my mind we're going to talk about jason robertson in a bit we're also going to talk about pete DeBoer in a bit but I want to ask you, because it seems like every Central Division team has had a similar theme where you've had a couple of big to bigger fish that have left. Each team has had, you know, one or two additions that have come in. And so I'm going to do this with every other host in the Central Division. Which loss, which departure via either trade or leaving for free agency, which one do you think is going to be felt the most by the Stars this season? It's going to be John Klingberg, and it's not too much of a debate. There's a few other departures this offseason. Michael Roffel goes back home and to play some hockey in Europe. Uh, Andre Sekera, a longtime NHL defenseman, retires. Both of those guys, role players at the most, guys that weren't getting a ton of minutes and not racking up the massive stats. But John Klingberg, far and away, will be the departure that the Stars miss the most this coming season. Uh, I mean, you talk about the, the second-best defenseman in the Stars organization behind Sergei Zuboff. Uh, you know, second in the organization and defenseman goals, points, just about any statistical category. And, uh, you know, a great player in the playoffs as well. Many Stars fans will remember him for his game winner in the 2019 playoffs to end that series against Nashville in round one. Um, a guy that the Stars drafted, developed, and, you know, kind of became a, a fan favorite amongst, you know, Stars fans here for several years. And there's been debate as, you know, early as Thanksgiving of 2021 that he was going to be on a different team sometime soon. There was a lot of speculation that he would get dealt at the deadline, but Miro Haskinen gets mononucleosis around the trade deadline. So the stars, this was never actually confirmed, but I just assume the stars decided to try to hold on to John Klingberg because they didn't know how long they were going to be missing Haskinen. So they hold on to John. He has a pretty good back half of the season, but then, you know, they just can't reach an agreement. John Klingberg going into his early thirties, this is probably his last chance to get a big contract. And while he doesn't, get the longevity of a big contract. He goes to Anaheim and I believe it's a one-year deal worth $7 million. And so we'll, we'll see where he goes after this year with the Ducks. But, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of Stars fans have been expecting for a while, but, you know, still, still going to be sad. And, you know, the team is going to look much different without number three on the ice for the Stars. Let's go to DeBoer because you had Rick Bonus as head coach. He ends up uh, being 
I, I can't recall if it was a mutual parting of ways or if he was relieved of his one of the one of those. Mm. A little bit of both. A little bit of both. <laughs> exactly. But so you go from him to Peter DeBoer, who was the coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, and they have been in a weird spot over the last uh, year plus, and it's going to be more of a mess for them going forward. Was it necessary in your mind for the Stars to have kind of a new voice leading the team? And is Peter DeBoer a good fit to be that new voice? Yes to both, uh, and I'll dive into that a little bit. And Stars fans that have been listening to these you know, preseason division crossovers, they've probably heard this multiple times now, but I think it's still worth saying that you know, uh, Rick Bonus was thrown into a very difficult situation with the Stars. The the Stars fired Jim Montgomery from his coaching duties back in December 2019. Rick Bonus steps in as the interim. The world shuts down in March 2020, and you know he somehow, some way, leads that team, the Dallas Stars, to the Stanley Cup Finals uh, in the Edmonton bubble, and then gets them through another season where the schedule is condensed. Some of your best players, like Tyler Sagan, aren't playing the entire year. You know, there's COVID breakouts. Didn't schedule is a tough division for the Stars that season with the Lightning, uh, the Hurricanes in that division, the Predators, so on and so forth. And then this season, I mean, it was, you know, still some, you know, n- not normal things happening like a COVID shutdown, things of that nature. But, you know, still some difficulties and challenges faced this past season. But Rick Bonus still gets this team to the playoffs and they perform really well. But at the end of the day, I, I think. Like I said, I think it's a little bit of both. I think Bonus kind of wanted to take a step back just with how chaotic these years have been and the Stars wanting to move on because Rick Bonus, a great coach, one of the most respected men in the NHL, um, a very classy guy, a guy that you know has the respect of the locker room. Uh, but it was just time for both parties to move on. And now Rick Bonus is still in the division in Winnipeg, which is a, a crazy story within itself. But the Stars getting Pete DeBoer, I'm it's interesting and the more the offseason has gone on the more i'm starting to like the move a little bit more if you just look at you know some of the numbers that some of his teams have had in san jose and vegas and even back whenever he was with the devils uh, i think there's a lot to like especially offensively Um, if you've watched the dallas stars for any stretch of the past several years you know how much they struggled to get the puck in the back of the net and pete DeBoer has a tendency especially early um, in his tenure with new teams to get the most out of his players offensively, and that includes defensemen. So you talk about the absence of John, John Klingberg, Miro Haskinen now needs to step up and and be you know the guy on the defensive side of the ice, uh, but also you know the guy on the blue line who is going to need to shoot the puck, try to be a playmaker, especially on the power play. So you know Pete DeBoer, it felt like maybe a little bit of a bland hire back when it happened at the start of the summer, and also I know that his time in Vegas didn't necessarily end as peacefully as Bonus's time in Dallas ended. So there was some negativity, but as time has gone on and the dust has settled, I think most people have come to terms with you know the fact that Pete DeBoer, while he hasn't won a Stanley Cup, he's gotten really close, uh, and he's gotten really close with you know a guy like Joe Pavelski who is still playing at an incredibly high level. Um, and so at least from a storyline perspective, it's going to be exciting to see, you know, old coach and old captain of that coach reuniting and seeing what they can do in a new city, new team. And everyone, you know, in the organization kind of getting a, a fresh start with a, a new coach and a new coaching staff with, at that. Uh, let's finish by talking Jason Robertson, because the owner of the Dallas Stars had some very interesting comments recently in regards to extensions for superstars and uh, you happen to have one in Jason Robertson that's going to need a new deal here relatively soon so what sort of impact is that going to have on the negotiations with Robertson 
how close are the stars on locking him into a long-term deal? Yeah, it's kind of a a messy situation just because nothing at the time of recording this has really developed uh, in training camp, as we talked about at the start of this recording, is, you know, getting underway very soon. And, you know, NHL history would have you believe that really, you know, if a guy isn't signed by training camp, that that guy might not be coming back to, you know, the team that he once played for. So there's some nerves that are starting to build amongst Stars fans, even amongst myself, uh, just because there's this, you know, thought that, you know, without the Dallas Stars, I mean, or without Jason Robertson on the Dallas Stars, how far can they go? I mean, he was a 41-goal scorer, the the fourth 40-goal scorer in the Stars franchise history. Not a whole lot of guys have done that in a Dallas Stars sweater. So this isn't a guy you want to let slip away and go to another team. And, and, you know, you you mentioned Stars owner Tom Gillardi not really liking to, you know, in his words, give too big a slice of pie to the the high scoring guys. And, you know, we were talking about this before recording. I, I can see where he's coming from. I think stars GM Jim Neal kind of feels the same way of, and I think both those guys maybe still feel a little bit burned about paying Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben so much money back in the day. And that obviously hasn't aged super well with the way that they've been playing over the past handful of seasons. So it, it's messy on that end. And then we were talking about this before recording, the more, there's more young forwards like Jason Robertson that are signing these massive deals like Tim Stutzla uh, from the Ottawa Senators signing, I think, like an eight-year, $8 million contract. And, you know, no offense to him. I think he's a great player. But I think Jason Robertson is better than, than Stutzla. And, but the Stars just don't have that money right now. So it, it's this weird, you know, the Stars want to pay Jason Robertson. They don't necessarily have the cap space. So they got to likely work out some sort of bridge deal. Um, where maybe he's getting paid for three or four seasons, maybe in the six to seven million dollar range. And you might have to move some guys off the roster. There's some been some rumors about Anton Hudobin potentially getting moved, maybe a guy like Roddick Foxa. It, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out as training camp gets closer. Um, because you have to imagine that you know, Pete DeVore coming to Dallas, probably one of the biggest draws was getting to coach a guy like Jason Robertson. And if he's not there, uh, that you know, just gives us a whole different outlook on what the stars are going to look like this season. Well, and an interesting parallel, I wonder how much Robertson is looking at the deal that Kirill Kaprizov got before this season as a potential framework to uh, to try to get something to go. I mean, 9 million obviously maybe a little bit hot, maybe a little bit more towards the extreme like ceiling for what a deal for Robertson would look like, but I'm sure he's looking at that and saying, let's go get it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I've made that point on my podcast before. You've just, I, I feel like those guys are just going to be compared for the rest of their careers. Uh, just, you know, being called their finalists together and, you know, being around the same age. So, yeah, I'm sure he's looking at that. He's looking at the Stutzla deal. And you could probably go around the league and look at all these young forwards, you know, getting these massive deals. And Jason Robertson's like, I'm, I'm as good, if not better than some of these guys. So, why, why should I not get this much money? Right. Well, let's um, let's flip to talking a little bit about the Minnesota Wild. I'm sure you've got some burning questions for the uh, divisional opponents, and so we'll uh, we'll flip it. I'll get uh, I'll put myself in the uh, the hot seat as we continue our crossover episode of Locked On Wild and Locked On Stars. After this, our next partner is a product I use every single day of the week. I started taking AG1 because it's so much simpler to have all the vitamins and supplements you need in one easy package. And with just one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, 
whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, everything you could possibly want in one place. AG1 is lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself, and it is rated and guaranteed with over 7,000 five-star reviews. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Continuing today's episode of Locked on Wild and Locked on Stars, Seth Topol and Dane Lewis taking a look at how the Wild and Stars have done in the offseason. It's wild question time. So, Dane, I am an open book. Any wild questions you've got, send them my way. Yeah, let's do it. You talk about the offseason for the Minnesota Wild. I feel like the the elephant in the room for this team, of course, is one of the first moves of the entire offseason for the league was the departure of Kevin Fiala, a guy who was second on the Wild in points at 85, 33 goals, 52 assists, had a phenomenal season uh, for the Minnesota Wild this past year. But now he's in Los Angeles, a member of the Kings uh, a trade with that team. What were your overall thoughts on that deal? Uh, and how do you feel about the return uh, for Kevin Fiala? You know, this is an interesting one because I feel like the further away we get from it, it's more and more easy to come to terms with what happened. I was a staunch uh, trying to kind of lead the movement of, hey, we need to find a way to keep this guy because you don't just fall into players that are in their the prime of their career, that are 25 years old, and can give you what Kevin Fiala was able to bring to this team this past season. Uh, and even before that, you know, he had some very solid seasons with the Wild leading up to this one. It just put everything together and, uh, and really turned into just this elite scoring option uh, that made the Wild as dangerous of a team as they were. Obviously, with his performance, that meant that he was going to get paid. And so when it was pretty evident that he had priced himself out of what the Wild were going to be able to give, uh, then for Bill Guerin, it turned to where can we get a good return for him? And not only that, we have to look at the biggest factor, I think, of this trade. Kevin Fiala was not probably going to sign an extension with Ottawa, maybe not going to sign an extension with New Jersey. Who's going to pass up an opportunity to go play for the Los Angeles Kings to go to California and just have that be where you live and play for the next large portion of your playing career. So once it got down to the Kings being the team that he was going to do that, then the trade package starts to come together. The Wilds got Brock Faber, who is uh, going to be playing 
with the uh, the Gophers this year, but profiles as a guy who can you know be a an intriguing prospect for this team, somebody that can you know within the next couple of years get some time. I would imagine on the Wild roster, a chance to see if he is somebody that can fit with this team going forward. The biggest piece for this trade was the additional first round pick because it allowed the Wild the opportunity with those two picks right within the uh, the same area to take both Liam Ogren and Danila Yurov. And from what I have seen from Yurov overseas so far this season, it's enough to get you really excited about what he's going to be able to bring to this team once he uh, makes it stateside. So not necessarily a player that was a direct benefit of of the Wild having those two picks, but somebody that it gave them the opportunity to uh, to grab Ogren at 19 and still be able to see, okay, is Yurov going to be available at 24? And so I, I feel like getting Brock Faber and Liam Ogren for Kevin Fiala is a solid haul. The part of this I think that irritates people the most is Bill Guerin's comments saying that, you know, they felt like they got a good haul for Fiala without having to wait for teams to try to leverage each other to increase the offer or decrease the offer. I think the assumption there with those comments is that Guerin panicked and pulled the trigger a little too early. But look at what happened to Chicago with the moves that they made. There are a lot of experts who look at the return that they got um, for a couple of those trades as pretty underwhelming. And so Garen trying to avoid that sort of thing happening and ultimately would have been very nice to, uh, to keep Fiala around. But at the end of the day, the contract that he got, there was no way that the Wild were going to be able to uh, to get that on the books. And so at that point, then you you try to maximize the return, and I, I certainly think Bill Guerin did that. It, it certainly seems like it's one of those deals that could be a win-win for both clubs. The Kings get you know a, a guy that can play easy top six, if not top three minutes, uh, and produce at a high level. And you know it might just take a little bit longer for the Wild to get their end of the deal, but you know, Faber, like you said, a guy that has a lot of upside. And then, you know, of course, those draft picks as well. Um, who knows, three, four years down the line, all, all of those guys could be great contributors for this team. And then, you know, both clubs say, hey, we both got a pretty good shake out of this deal. Um, and so it's just one of those things that you kind of have to wait and see. And shifting focus now to the the goaltending situation. We talked about it with the Stars. I want to shed some light on it here with the Wild as well, because it's something that I've just, it's been on my mind talking about the central division this off season and trying to project how these teams are going to do. Cause I think this is one of the more interesting tandems in the league, at least set to start the season, at least from what I've been able to find, you have Mark Andre Fleury and Philip Gustafson kind of set to be the, the one, two uh, in Minnesota. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but Mark Andre Fleury, 37 years old, going to be 38 in November. And then Philip Gustafson, 24 years old, coming from Ottawa, Pretty unproven, only 27 games played with some pretty decent numbers. But I, I say it's interesting just with Marc-Andre Fleury, one of the best goalies we've seen in the past 10, 15 years. But Stars fans especially know all too well, you know, how age can deteriorate a goalie. We just saw Ben Bishop retire. Anton Hudobin's up there in age. He's not the goalie that he once was. Braden Holtzby is likely, you know, done playing in the NHL seemingly for 
you know, it just with the way his body shut down. And then Gustafson, a guy that, you know, like I said, not super proven, struggled a little bit in Ottawa, not super flashy numbers. What are your overall thoughts on this goalie situation for the Wild going into this season? I, I'll say right off the bat, it is, I think, the single biggest factor that will determine whether the Wild have a good season or not. Because the Wild are banking, number one, they're banking on a bounce back from Marc-Andre Fleury. He went 9-2 and two with the Wild after he was acquired at the trade deadline. But the peripheral numbers were so-so, and his performance in the playoffs against the St. Louis Blues was also so-so. If he has that type of performance again this season, things are not going to go super well for this Wild team. If he bounces back if he's more comfortable with Minnesota this year and uh, he can save a few more goals than he did down the stretch last year, then he's going to have better numbers. And I think this wild team is going to be similar to where they were last year. They're just going to have to figure out a way to do it with less goals, which means you're going to if you have less goals that you score, obviously you have to give up less goals too. So simple simple formula there that I think the Wild are banking on. As for Gustafson, this is interesting to me because they get Gustafson and he is a restricted free agent at the end of this season. If he shows any sort of a flash this year, I think he could be somebody that is very intriguing for the Wild over the next couple of seasons, mainly because Jesper Wallstead is in Iowa this year, and his timetable for getting to the NHL level is entirely up to him. If Wallstead shows that he is capable of dominating at the AHL level this year, it wouldn't shock me if, at the very least, he is up with the NHL team next year. If it takes a little longer for Wallstead to kind of get accustomed to playing in the States and playing against AHL-level competition, you know, then you push the timeline down the road a little bit. But the Wilder are simply trying to kind of fill, backfill the Jesper Wallstead timetable. If Fleury is a good year this year, he has the second year of that contract that is basically an option. If he opts to retire this year, it doesn't hurt the Wild at all. Um, if not, they've got him locked in for $3.5 million for next year. Let's say Gustafson plays really well. Then you have the first opportunity to negotiate with him and try to kind of bridge him along to help take some of that time before Jesper Wallstead's ready to play at the NHL level. If neither of these happen, the Wild, let's say Flurry does not perform well and he opts to just hang it up. Off the hook there. If Gustafson doesn't give you anything that's really super inspiring, he's a restricted free agent for relatively cheap. And you can, Bill Guerin can, has a couple of options as to what to do there. And then you just go get somebody else to fill that spot until Wallstead is ready. So they're hoping that these two pieces can work until Wallstead's ready. If not, they're going to go get somebody else. But that's if you want to talk about a factor for how this season's going to go, it's goaltending. First, second, third, fourth, and fifth. 
yeah, I, I've like been racking my brain on all these teams in the division. That's my my continual thought with this wild team. If you know if the goaltending's good, very easily can finish in a top three spot in this division. But if it doesn't hold up too well, I, I still think that there's enough talent on the roster from what I've seen, even just from the games last season, even with the Fiala absence, that you know you still get into the postseason. Just maybe, maybe in a wild card spot. But the last question I kind of want to run by you in terms of of you know the the aforementioned talent on the roster. We know Kirill Kaprizov. We know what he's going to do this season. Uh, you know he's going to light up the scoreboard. He's going to score a ton of goals. But now there's that absence in the in the second scorer spot with Fiala gone. Who do you anticipate is going to step up and kind of fill that role? to to be the the you know the second scorer on this team whether it's you know former Dallas star Matt Zuccarello, Joel Erickson Eck, Ryan Hartman or, or is it a, is it one of those guys or is it maybe someone else that that maybe I'm overlooking I think the hope is that it will be Matt Boldy that will be that uh, that second option he showed really well and I think had he been healthy for the entire season he would have been a finalist at the least for the Calder Trophy, but obviously was injured to start the year, played in 47 games, and uh, really gave a lot of promise for the Wilds for their future. The hope is that he can maybe not have like the replica season that Kevin Fiala did, but can at least you know maybe go from 15 to 25 to 30 goals this year and can be somewhere around 60, 70, 75 points as uh, as a second year player in the NHL which would be a big ask but I think he's certainly capable of it the hope then is that Marco Rossi can take what Matt Boldy did last year and maybe build on that a little bit but just take that over the course of a full season so those are the guys that are going to be most directly filling in for Kevin Fiala's production the other part of this, too, I think, is whether or not we see the regression from the guys who had the career seasons. The Matt Zuccarellos, Ryan Hartman, uh, Marcus Foligno, guys like that. If they are capable, for instance, if Ryan Hartman, if this is just kind of his second act, is a guy who is capable of being a center on a Kirill Kaprizov line and taking advantage of all those opportunities that that brings... If he's able to do this for another season, that is going to be massive for this wild team. If you can get Marcus Foligno to have similar production, a guy who has been kind of an under-the-radar offensive option for this team, and if Matt Zuccarello can continue to do what he's done as a linemate for Kirill Kaprizov and can continue to stay healthy, if those guys all have somewhere around the same level of production, then you look at it and by and large, most of the goals are accounted for. And if that formula, if that formula works, then the Wilds got exactly what they were hoping for. And they just like they did last year, they have once again, this season asked for a few key players to step up and fill voids and have gotten that. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned a lot of those younger guys like Boldy, who I'm sure are excited for this opportunity to to step up and be, you know, that that sidekick character almost to to Kirill Kaprizov, and you know, kind of assert themselves as a a key player on this team. So th- this is going to be a team in Minnesota that you know, outside of the stars, that I'm going to be you know excited to watch and ex- you know, curious to see what storylines come out of training camp and you know how they how they start the season off because I know I've just been 
and it's this way with every central division team. They, every team kind of has that one storyline of, okay, if this goes, you know, the right way, they could have a great season, or if it doesn't go the right way, it, it could fall apart. And, you know, you said the goaltending for sure. And then also who, who's going to be, you know, behind Capri's off as far as scoring this season. Yeah, those, those will be the two big ones. And, you know, speaking of the central division, we'll finish by taking a look at kind of just where everybody's at. We'll play a little in and out to see if all the teams that made the playoffs last year, if we think we're gonna, they're going to do it again as we finish today's crossover episode of Locked on Wild and Locked on Stars after this. Final segment of today's episode of Locked on Wild and Locked on Stars. Once again, thank you for making both shows your first listen every day for your second listen make sure to check out the locks on nhl podcast as we get closer to the start of the season free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts dane the central division has seen a lot of change as i alluded to when we were talking about the stars in the first segment it seems like every team in the division has had some notable departures a couple of additions to the roster, but it doesn't feel like anybody has really done anything to separate themselves from the pack. You saw all the instances in which the Avalanche had to make tough choices while uh, some of their impending free agents took more money elsewhere. Their goalie situation is different. Uh, Is that a fair assessment, or, or is there somebody in the division that you think has done enough to be kind of that objects in the mirror are closer than they appear type team? I very much agree with the the assessment that th- there's just certainly been change around the division, but I don't think that you know that there's been one team that's done just you know a ton to to assert themselves. I still think the Avalanche likely win the division. I still think that they're going to be a great team uh, despite a lot of those absences. The, the big one being, of course, Nazem Kadri, who's now in Calgary. But I mean, they still have so many good pieces. But I- I've said this to to some other hosts this preseason and still at this moment believe that we could very well see the same eight teams from the Western Conference in the playoffs. I think the seeding could maybe be a little bit different uh, just as far as some of those middle seeds and some of the wild card spots. But I think it's very realistic, especially out of the central, the Pacific, you know, maybe you get a sleeper team in there, maybe, you know, Vegas overperforms and maybe they keep Los Angeles out, something like that. But as far as the central, I think we could see the same five teams make the postseason. With Colorado at the one, but that you know that two through five spot, and even if you want to throw the Winnipeg Jets in there, the two through six kind of feels up for grabs. Yeah, and I mean, the nice thing about the Central Division is you take Chicago and Arizona, and at this point, you just push them off to the side. <laughs> but like you said, Colorado still has the talent to be the top team in the Western Conference. And I mean, you look at it, Winnipeg... I just, I've said this before, and I'm going to have to actually ask Harrison about it in a crossover. I just don't know what that team looks like on paper until I see them play in game one. Like, it just, it seems like a weird mix to me. And so it could end up being okay, but it could also end up being very bad. So I'll leave them out of the playoff picture as of now. Um, As far as the Pacific Division goes, I think what is certain is Edmonton and the Kings being playoff teams over there. I mean, Calgary did get Nazem Kadri, but I I just don't know beyond that. I mean, Vegas is going to have to really 
they're really going to have to find something with Jack Eichel uh, to get into that mix. But it just it feels to me, like you said, that it's going to be five from the Central again, and it's going to be probably Edmonton and the Los Angeles Kings, and then whoever plays the best between Calgary, Vancouver, and maybe Vegas over in the Pacific. Yeah, uh, the Pacific is so weird because there are like Vancouver, uh, a team that I overlook at times, but they they took the Stars' lunch three times last season, and, and you know they have some really nice pieces. That, that that's almost a fun division to be in if you're one of those kind of middling teams like Vancouver, because you don't necessarily have a whole lot to lose if people expect you to miss the playoffs. And if you have a good year, you come in and steal a playoff spot from the Flames. Yeah, I think I think the Flames. I, I do agree that they're kind of in a weird spot, and they. You know, despite losing a ton this offseason, it seems that they've brought back just as much with, you know, Nazem Kadri, but Jonathan Huberdeau, uh, Uyghur. I think that they still have the pieces. And, of course, Daryl Sutter is head coach there. But, you know, that, that's going to be a tough team, and that's going to be a, a difficult place to play, of course, in the Saddle Dome. So it, it's going to be a, a wild year in the Western Conference and, you know, the, the Central Division for sure. And I know that's what we'll be watching both of us a little bit more closely, but I really, you know, do think that both of our teams have have a chance to finish top three in the division, but I can also see either of our teams also, you know, scrapping and clawing all season long and eventually ending up in a wild card spot as well. Yeah, it it's all going to depend on a few a couple of key factors for both teams. But if you uh, if you've been listening to either show all off season long leading up to the start of the season, you know what they are at this point. So uh, just continue to follow along with your favorite shows with Locked on Wild and Locked on Stars as we guide you through the rest of the offseason into the start of the season. Make sure you follow along on YouTube. Hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the latest news for either team. And uh, we continue to bring you new episodes all week long as part of the Locked on Sports Podcast Network.